This is Show Me Today. The University of Missouri has a center that is recruiting adults to participate in a research study that explores the effects of behavioral therapy on cigarette smoking. Anthony Morbeth is here with the center's director, Brett Folliger. Brett Folliger. So the really the focus of the Health Neuroscience Center is to better understand um, the brain mechanisms and behavioral mechanisms that really underlie why a person continues to smoke or use drugs of abuse. And we know that um, individuals that have a history of using drugs that become addicted have a really difficult time quitting. Um, and we have effective medications for helping people to quit, but the majority of people still relapse even when using those uh, medications. So we want to better understand what are some of the barriers that are leading to um, relapse and can we develop more effective treatments? Um, and so understanding how the brain is working in the context of drug addiction is an important step in doing that. And it also helps us better understand how these treatments may be working. And I think that transitions into sort of the study as a whole, because I know that the Health Neuroscience Center has conducted several other smoking-related studies over the years. And how does that factor into these two studies that you are currently doing regarding smoking? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we early on started really looking at the effects of, in the con I'll focus on um, tobacco smoking or, or cigarette addiction. Early on, we really started um, and focused on, you know, what are the effects of some of the over-the-counter FDA-approved medications for smoking cessation, such as nicotine patch or nicotine replacement therapy. And as the field progressed, what we started to identify is, is that while that's really effective, like nicotine replacement is really effective to help smokers reduce their craving, um, it doesn't necessarily treat some of the other symptoms that smokers would report or triggers for relapse. Some of those things being, you know, just after a period of time of not smoking, some of the habit of just picking up a cigarette in those contexts, such as when you hop in your car and you're just used to smoking a cigarette when you drive someplace, or some of the um, kind of enjoyment or pleasure that you would get um, from smoking. Uh, smokers would report saying that, you know, they feel a little bit better. They don't crave as much. Um, however, they just feel maybe a little bored um, during some of those periods where they would have a cigarette in a social context. So that work really led into um, our current research that we're doing now, looking at some of the behavioral treatments that we can use to provide people with some of the skills and tools and strategies of how do you deal with um, kind of that automatic urge or habit where you just pick up a cigarette um, without really thinking about it or when you're feeling kind of bored um, and you'd maybe pick up a cigarette to give you a little bit of a boost um, in a particular social setting, um, what are some strategies a person could use to maybe just take in and savor some of the natural reward that are subtle um, as a replacement for some of the subtle reward that was received from smoking a cigarette. So that's what the behavioral studies we're doing right now are really focusing on are what are the effects of specific behavioral treatments. Um, one in particular uh, is more or mindfulness-oriented recovery enhancement and cognitive behavioral therapy is another to um, the, the focus being on teaching people how to more effectively um, reconfigure or retrain their thoughts around the things they enjoy and how to um, better manage stress, independent of using nicotine replacement or some other um, pharmacotherapy. And, and Brett, we live in a day and age where we've known 
I believe, since the 1960s that cigarette smoking was bad for you. And yet you still have people who've smoked over the years, myself included. I quit about 10 years ago. So is congratulations. The in- oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Is the intent to eliminate the habit of smoking or to better understand how and why people smoke? I would say it's both. I mean, so as I've trained as a basic uh, scientist, so part of my motivation is to better understand how it is that our brains, how our brain um, really kind of mediates or supports our our behaviors. And so uh, in the context of smoking, if we're going to treat smoking, if we're going to treat any sort of um, behavior that a person wants to change, we need to understand how it is that the brain is supporting that process. So that's one goal. But that, you know, in and of itself is somewhat of an intellectual pursuit. And so the natural translation of that is to, you know, use that information to help people. So if a person wants to change the behavior, if they're experiencing illness or it's just interfering with their life um, or it's costing them money um, that they want to reduce the cost of that behavior, and so in the context of the smoking, yeah, it's the number one preventable cause of premature death. Um, the majority of smokers want to quit, um, and yet the majority of smokers who may make a quit attempt relapse within three months. So we want to use the basic information to help drive and inform better treatments to help people quit smoking and change and improve their overall well-being. I'm looking at what the Health Neuroscience Center does. So how would AI and genetics and neuroscience or simply clinical research be applied to the study and the studies that you've been working on with regard to smoking? Yeah, that's another great question. You know, so the study that we're talking about today is a behavioral study, but it it involves um, brain imaging. So there's the neuroscience component to that. The majority of our studies, um, we collect blood. So we look at genetic data. Um, We also integrate some AI techniques, um, both in how we measure people's behavior. So, you know, with in 2023, with the availability of cheap wearable sensors, we can use those data to be able to, um, you know, whether it's a medication study, we can track medication adherence. Um, If a person is um, wanting to get, you know, provide other information um, in terms of like their behavior, we can get that information um, for a study. And so it's really, you know, it's integrating all these different techniques into better understanding um, what is happening, but also being able to predict what the likelihood of a behavior would be. So we can use that information to predict whether a person might relapse or the time frame of which a person might relapse in a particular context. Ultimately, the idea, right, is to be able to, if we understand a person is um, most likely to re- relapse in a particular environment, well, theoretically, we could move this research forward to be able to provide people with interventions when they're approaching a, a particular environment where they're most likely to have a slip and smoke a cigarette or relapse when they're trying to make a quit attempt. So they're all important. It's a great question. They're all important pieces um, that we try to incorporate the majority of those into our studies. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about this. I know that you're currently in the process of conducting this study, but with regard to this behavioral intervention approach to studying and researching this, is there any sort of things that you have uncovered thus far, what you've learned about smoking from having studied it thus far? 
Yeah. So, you know, I, I think yeah, I'm also a former smoker. Um, and it's I can empathize at the, with everyone who is trying to quit. It's extraordinarily difficult. You know, uh, people make a quit attempt and they lapse or, and then ultimately may relapse. Um, it's one of those things where you try and try again. Um, what we know is that and anybody who's a smoker can tell you the same or who, who's, um, you know, a long-term smoker can tell you the same thing is that it's not one specific aspect that um, leads to the relapse. So there's stress as a factor. Um, when you quit smoking, it can disrupt attention. Um, and also I talked about some of the other mood effects of, you know, whether it's boredom or just maybe a, a subtle lack of reward to, to uh, subtle things in the environment that are not um, smoking. So it's really, a, I call it a manifold process, right? It's a multi-pronged process that um, impacts the person's ability to quit smoking or their willingness to quit smoking at various times. Um, so we've revealed some interesting findings showing different neural systems in the brain that have become altered from long-term smoking, and um, they're treatable and they can be restored. Uh, but you know, how do we best do that is still a, an active question. Um, we've done studies looking at brain stimulation so non-invasive brain stimulation, um, similar to what's been used uh, and FDA approved for treating major depression. We've um, recently completed a study looking at that, and we've uh, find some promising effects there. Um, we've done medication studies looking at to see who it is that may be most responsive to varenicline um, or Chantix. Um, and then the behavioral study that we're doing now, some of the early signs from um, other work that we're doing focusing on the behavioral interventions is showing that teaching people how to um, reappraise emotional content and how to savor, uh, and most people could relate to this, when you think about having a nice meal and you savor that, that good flavor of the food and you savor that meal, teaching people um, techniques of how to more effectively savor subtle natural reward as a replacement um, for the reward that you anticipate you'll receive from smoking a cigarette. Savoring is really effective. And so the study that we're doing now, one of the things we're looking at is how it is that savoring and reappraisal uh, work and how they work in the brain. And if we understand how they work in the brain, we can look to see how it is that those changes in the brain following those practices are associated with the person's ability to not smoke when they make a quit attempt in our studies. Final question. I know you're specifically looking for participation from the general public. How do they go about doing that, applying to participate, and what sort of qualifications? Yeah, so um, the easiest way to, um, to um, get in touch with us is just to text SMOKE, S-M-O-K-E, to 21000. Text SMOKE to 21000. And what will happen is, is that when you text us um, SMOKE, um, a link will come up on your phone, and you can just plug in your information. Um, and it, it's relatively general, but it'll give us information um, whether you will qualify for the study. The criteria to get into this behavioral study um, are primarily age. There's some a few other factors um, maybe associated with um, like if you have a, a current significant um, health condition that would prevent you from participating. Um, but most people are available, um, but we will review your, um, your, the, the query that we have, and we'll get back in touch with you and notify you whether you qualify for this study or potentially qualify for another study that we're doing, and we can share with um, the, the potential participant the compensation that's also available. And this is Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. 